This is the Sanam S4 podcast, brought to you by Sanam S4, the go-to people for success in the world's fastest growing economies. Season 1. Reshaping international student recruitment in the time of coronavirus. Episode 6. My guest today is Lindsay Addington, Director of Global Engagement at NACAC, the National Association for College Admission Counselling. Lindsay studied and then worked at the George Washington University before moving to ACE, the American Council on Education, and she's been at NACAC for six years. If you need to know anything about the college counselling world, Lindsay is your go-to woman, and it's a huge pleasure to have her on the show today. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you for the invitation to speak with you and your listeners today. So I guess the obvious first place to start is just for you to give a brief introduction to NACAC as an organization for our listeners. So the National Association for College Admission Counseling, or NACAC, as we like to refer to ourselves, is a professional membership organization founded in 1937. We are headquartered in Arlington, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., and our membership includes 15,000 professionals from around the world dedicated to serving students as they make choices about pursuing post-secondary education. The National Association has 23 affiliated organizations that represent states, regions, and international interests. Uh, for example, your listeners may be familiar with Texas ACAC, Southern ACAC, or International ACAC. And so it's primarily an organization which is rooted in the U.S. and for U.S. professionals, but there is, but there is an international element to that as well. Yes, I think this grew um, a while ago. Again, many, international, many U.S. universities have undertaken international enrollment, international recruitment and admission for many years. And so I think it grew NACAC's international interests has always been there, but it didn't become an intentional effort of the national organization until around 2012, 2013, when they created uh, the Department of International Initiatives, which is now referred to as the Department of Global Engagement. Obviously, NACAC as a membership organization thrives and survives on the concerns and issues that its members are wrestling with. And there's probably only one really main issue that people are talking about at the moment. In the context of coronavirus, what's the main concern that the membership are voicing? Sure, I'll speak generally and then get into a bit of specifics, but okay. all of our members, whether on the counseling or the admission side, are concerned with students' well-being. Our members are currently focused on helping seniors make the best decisions emotionally, financially, and academically for their future directions in education. Um, for example, 52% of members have extended the deposit deadline beyond May 1st, and you may know May 1st is the National Candidate Reply Date in the U.S., and that is to ensure that students aren't rushed into a decision and have time to consider all of these new variables at play. Sorry, I was going to say, so 52% have decided to push it later. That's correct. Of our, so we, um, we have gone out and surveyed our membership. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so the most common deadline was pushed to, to June 1st, but there are also institutions that have pushed that to July 1st. Um, yet there are still some that have maintained a May 1st uh, deadline, deposit deadline. Um, but it, it appears that people are kind of handling things on a case-by-case -case basis if students uh -huh. need additional time. Yeah, because I was going to say 52% doesn't sound 
necessarily as high as I might have expected. I might have thought that three quarters or something might have made it. Because it's not long until that deadline. That's right. Yeah. So we'll see again. uh, This may also, this survey was done a few weeks ago. And so people may have um, continued to adjust policies um, as well. Um, I think the biggest concern among all education institutions right now compared to say six weeks ago um, is what the fall is going to look like, which of course impacts this year's students' decisions. Will on-campus classes be held? Will everything still be virtual? And with that, conversations about value, right? I think the number of students who opt to take a gap year will grow significantly, which is not a traditional path that students, um, particularly in the US, take, um, which also then raises questions for what this means for the current juniors who will be applying for fall 2021. And will it make things more competitive for them? if more students are going to be vying for those spots. And I think for U.S. in particular, junior year and first semester of senior year are critical times for college applicants to demonstrate their qualification for admission. And so for rising seniors, in addition to learning and extracurricular activities being disrupted, standardized testing is being called into question, And so how will admission criteria look for them? And the fall is also a time when many seniors are finalizing their plans of where to apply. So we we call into question whether or not students will be able to visit campus again in the fall. And will university representatives be able to visit high school? Um, One thing that we will talk about in terms of impact on NACAC um, is college fairs. Will college fairs be held in person or will they be virtual? And so there's still so much uncertainty and so much to consider. It's interesting your point um, about the gap year thing, because gap years in the UK, I think, might be a bit more culturally rooted than the US. But certainly our um, UK university reps that we were speaking to a couple of weeks ago also mentioned this idea of gap years. If a gap year were to grow in popularity in a relatively short period of time, because this whole coronavirus things are moving at pace what do you think a typical student might do in that period of time yeah I think still to be um, determined I think what it provides students is a bit more um, time and flexibility um, to kind of wait things out so they they may opt not to enroll um, in August and September um, which then gives them time come August or September when we perhaps have more insight into uh, what may be opening up and what what the country and other countries may be opening up. Um, I think New Zealand has recently announced their plans to start kind of reopening the country. And there are certain states in the U.S. that have started to kind of loosen restrictions. Again, there have been talks about virtual internships, um, which could grow in popularity. Um, there is also all of the kind of continuation of the, the learning platforms that students could continue to utilize through Khan Academy. Again, what that looks like, I think um, colleges and universities will still be looking for students to have um, made significant um, application toward learning or discovery during that time um, away from the formal kind of academic environment. 
Um, so again, I think it's still, I think right now it's being um, used possibly uh, to kind of just extend the time in which a decision, a formal decision has to be made. But I think gap years, right? I think the majority of gap years traditionally are not so structured, right? They, they give students an opportunity to explore and kind of craft together a program that helps them to discover who they are and what they want out of a further education experience. And so I think that that flexibility will be much needed and welcome. My kids are too little and yours are too for us to be worrying about that right now. But That's if right. I had somebody who, you know, a child who was about to be going to university this fall, it would definitely be something to be really weighing up, I think. Yeah. I was just going to say, right, that we talked about whether or not... Um, fall instruction will be totally virtual. And for someone who is looking forward to a traditional on-campus university experience, some may be more willing to put on the brakes and say, I don't need to rush into this. I want to wait for what I really um, expected out of my university um, undergraduate experience and degree. And so I think, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And especially in the context of the reality, which is that most universities in whatever country are still are still evolving their online offering at this moment in time so the value and the experience are still questions which are still very much alive for students they they can't really visualize what an alternative reality is because it <laughs> hasn't really been designed yet right and it may depend on how positive their experience this spring was with virtual education it may again be a, an education tool and model that fits some students um, and so I, I do think there are positive things we can learn from this and the utilization of technology and distance education that could open more doors too. How are you providing direction to your members? Right. One of the, the ways that NACAC felt that we could best support our members being that we represent so many institutions and uh, secondary schools. Um, several weeks ago, NACAC launched two online tools to crowdsource our secondary school members and our higher education members related to information pertaining to the admission process. Uh, nearly 1,000 colleges and universities from 16 countries and all 50 states use the tool to provide updated admission information to counselors, students, and families. And at initial launch in late March, this focused, um, for example, on information that counselors and families needed to know at that point. So mm -hmm. whether the campus was open for visits, what were virtual admission events looking like, um, would deposit deadlines be extended? We just launched this past week a second version that has expanded uh, the categories that institutions could provide information on. And those relate to policies toward final transcripts and the standardized admission testing policies, um, AP courses, anticipated registration for freshmen this fall. And so we're trying to take it in bit-sized pieces and provide information as needed to help make decisions kind of at what the current state is for the field. Um, NACAC also surveyed our secondary schools um, and we received more than 910 responses from high school counselors and advisors as of early April. Uh, they reported on the current top concerns of students. So this was to inform the universities to kind of mm. crowdsource what are students' major concerns um, and how were counselors challenged to support them in this, this transition in such an uncertain time. And the students' concerns really reflected the disruptions they were experiencing as a result of the coronavirus. For example, how colleges were going to view the AP and IB courses 
and how could they kind of virtually visit the colleges they are interested in. And we'll continue to update um, this information um, as decisions are made which impact students in the process. And I anticipate we will soon be collecting information about the fall. And um, I've heard rumors that kind of the June, July timeframe would be when colleges and universities really make decisions about mm. what fall is going to look like. And so we'll be ready to um, help capture that information to be able to support kind of students and counselors um, as they, they make their decisions about next steps. I think um, publishing small amounts of information, you know, the need to know at that particular moment in time is the way to go. I heard the term infobesity today, which is mm. where you <laughs> read too much information than you can really handle. But it does make me laugh because in the time of coronavirus, you can publish a tool at the beginning of March and by the end of April, you're on version two already. <laughs> it's like, yes. you know, you know who, like the speed, just the speed. The rapid response. <laughs> I know, I know yeah. it is, but it is, that is also, I think, a highlight in all of this, right? That they, we are able to kind of pull this off and, and provide um, quality resources um, to support members and, and the collaborative relationships that are, that are helping to fuel this is really nice to see. We like to ask a crystal ball question, Lindsay. We promise not to hold you to any wild predictions made. So today's crystal ball question is to get your view on what will be the longest lasting impact on um, student mobility as a result of coronavirus. What changes do you think are here to stay? Many more universities have opted to go test optional in the U.S., either temporarily or permanently as a result of the current situation. For students with a U.S. high school diploma, however, often standardized tests are required as supplements to meet entry requirements for international universities. And I believe this is true for many universities in the U.K. and Australia. And so if we're looking for an American mobility perspective, the test optional movement in the U.S. could present a, a challenge for students looking to apply and enroll internationally. I think this trend around standardized admission testing that has accelerated because of the global pandemic may stick around beyond the end of the coronavirus, particularly if institutions find that they are able to make sound admission decisions without the use of those exams. The way that the movement is going with test optional and just the significant addition of institutions um, opting for uh, different policies over the last month, something that I'm certainly going to be watching. Finally, as the very last guest of this pilot season of the San MS4 podcast, and um, we'd love to end on a high. Lindsay, no pressure. But can you give us a reason for optimism about the resilience of our field and its people? Zoe, that's a lot of pressure and weight I, on my shoulders. I know. <laughs> I know. One of the interesting things is that higher education is known as a field that is slow to change. Um, however, this rapid response to the coronavirus situation has proven that we can be creative and adaptive and in a short amount of time. And bringing us full circle, I'll return to kind of the strong network of professionals and collaboration. This shift to online education and virtual engagement has required partnerships across education levels and across disciplines to pull off what has been accomplished over this past month. And not to say this was problem free, but I think the takeaway for me is that this should provide a glimmer of hope that new ideas and innovations in education 
will be seen and attainable in the, the future. So I think that is my, my glimmer. That is a great, that's more than a glimmer. That's, a, that's an actual sparkle. <laughs> I felt like I wanted to give you a round of applause. Lindsay, thanks so much for being the last guest on the SunMS4 pilot season of the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. It was great speaking with you today.